Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Welcome. Uh, welcome to City Light North Adelaide. My name's Andrew, as uh, Julie noted from uh, John here. Um, it's my honour and privilege to open up our sermon series uh, for When I Met Jesus. And I'm excited about this series mostly because... Uh, we get to hear from the Bible, that's always great, but we also get to hear from our congregation in terms of um, how people meet Jesus and, what, and what, what kind of impact does meeting Jesus have on us. And so we're going to be doing that for the next eight to ten weeks. Um, and my hope and prayer with this sermon series is that um, people will see Jesus, people will meet Jesus, and Jesus will flip their world upside down. Um, as we, he, we see that's done so many times in the scripture, and we, we hope and pray that will be, uh, for some of you here maybe, that might be the case, for some people who might hear this online, that would be the case as well. Uh, but before we uh, start talking today, I want to throw out a quick question, if that's okay. Um, if, we, if I was to ask you, what do you think the average Australian thinks about Christianity? I think if I just... just just yell out some words, yell out maybe a quick phrase. What, do you, what does the average Australian think? What is Christianity about, if we ask, if we ask that question? Any, any takers? Rules and laws? Anyone else? Irrelevant? Any ideas? Anyone, anything else? Tradition? That's a, that's a big one. That's a huge one. Um, those are great answers. Uh, anecdotal, anecdotally from my end, I would say that uh, most non-Christians would say that it's uh, a, a belief system that's attached with moral values and it's aimed at doing good stuff just to help myself and to help other people, right? And so people do rituals and prayers and conduct these religious activities and that is some of us. You think like Ned Flanders, the, the, the epitome of Christian caricatures, right? Stuff like speaking Christianese, like you don't, if someone asks you in church how you're doing, you don't say I'm doing fine, I'm doing blessed, I'm, I'm blessed, thank you. Uh, you. You always say grace before a meal and then you, you silently judge the person who starts eating before everyone says grace. That's 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 the Christian that's the Christian thing, right? That's what we do as Christians, right? Um, and I find this is, a, this is a case with a lot of people who have, who have been brought up in church. Uh, and I know a lot of Christian non Christians think that being a Christian is all about doing good works, feeding homeless people, helping drunk kids at schoolies. Uh, not drinking, not smoking weed, not having sex before marriage, doing religious tasks like praying, reading your Bible, and, and fasting. And, um, and people think that, outside the church, think that Christians do this to, to please some sort of airy-fairy, mythical God. Um, and this idea of Christianity is so prevalent within our culture that um, I have found this video uh, from 2010 from YouTube. It's from a guy named Julian Smith. I don't think he's a Christian at all, but the fact that this idea of Christianity exists, it has led to parody infomercials like this. Hold it right there. Do you still say grace before you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? 
If you answered yes, then I've got a product that's going to revolutionize the way you do food. Pre-blessed food! That's right, pre-blessed food. We pray for it so you don't have to. This is the 21st century, folks. We can sell anything. Around the clock, we've got thousands of employees buying brand name foods, praying over them, and then putting them back on the shelves of your local grocery store. With our official sticker of approval, we've got breakfast cereal. Pre-blessed! Lunch meat! Pre-blessed! TV dinners! Double pre-blessed! And if you don't want a white guy praying over your food, we've got that too! Please, Lord, bless these eggs, Father. Bless the chicken that had these eggs, Father. Just listen to how pre-blessed food changed these people's lives. Since I switched to pre-blessed food, ain't nothing changed. We've always prayed religiously before eating, but we've been so busy with work and watching TV. Pre-blessed food hasn't only saved us time, it saved our souls. But that's not all. No, 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 that's not all. Inside every package of pre-blessed food are two tickets to heaven. Share them with your friends and family to make sure they go upstairs when they fall downstairs. So visit your local grocery store today and look for our official sticker of approval. And the next time someone asks you to bless the food, you say, it's unbeen blessed. Double pre-blessed. <laughs> That was ten years, not ten years, seven years ago. I remember watching that video back in, back in like second year uni, I think, and I, I it's stuck to my mind right, right now. It's just about that's what Christian, that's what non-Christians think about Christians. Um, the, the premise of this video is like, if what if people were praying just to just to tick off something, just to make themselves feel better about themselves, and so let's hypothetically make a product that fulfills this requirement for you. And this video speaks volumes as to what Christianity has been for so many people inside and outside the church. It's just a, a set of rules, a set of duties. It's just a moral code, right? And this is, this is a common story amongst non-Christians, that they think that Christianity is just morality to big themselves up, to make themselves look more morally superior. But is Christianity really like that, though? What does Jesus do with people like that? And what, what does the Bible have to say about that? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip open to uh, John 3. Uh, that's our main text for today. Um, we're going to read verses 1 to 15. But if you want to do some study for yourself, I would highly recommend going all the way to um, just the entire chapter, really. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the screen. Uh, John 3, here we go. Now, a, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said this said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Um, Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your scripture, uh, that through it we can know you. I pray that today as we look at uh, uh, what Christianity kind of looks like, I pray that you be will you be open to our spirit, uh, to your to your spirit, that um, you change us and you transform us, and that you um, that you break our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Um, I pray that we just don't hear the words, but we become doers of the word. And whatever I say that isn't part of me, Lord Father, I pray that you rid that. Um, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, depending on your church background, uh, you may or may not know this story. Um, I personally love this story because it deeply resonates with my own story. Um, but if you just read it just quickly through, um, you might miss out on some key details. So let's really dive into the text here. Who is Nicodemus? Now, Nicodemus is this teacher. He's this, he's this Pharisee. And you might be thinking, what, what's a Pharisee? So the Pharisees were these were this religious, religious leaders of the time. And you might be thinking, how, how religious are these guys? Um, well, put it this way. The Pharisees had rules on how many steps you could take on a Sabbath day. Uh, they memorized the Torah. I mean, I haven't even read the first five books of the Bible. Like, they memorized the Torah. Um, they had rules on stuff like you can't pluck uh, the heads of grain and eat them on the Sabbath because that's considered as work. You can't... Um, and they had all these other laws that were built up around the actual law of the, of the Torah. And then stuff like you had to even tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Who... Who ties their pantry? <laughs> Apparently, Pharisees do. And so Nicodemus was the primary, t- the teacher of Israel. He was the leading teacher of Israel, and it was part of this thing called the Sanhedrin, uh, which was a position. So they were in a position of religious power and authority. Um, if there was a spiritual equivalent of the Pope back then, Nicodemus was that guy. And so you see Nicodemus. You see Nicodemus approach Jesus at night. And likely he does this at night because he doesn't want to be seen. I mean, we don't know why Nicodemus has exactly gone to Jesus, but Jesus knows what's up. Um, Maybe he's experiencing doubt. But regardless of what it is, we know that Nicodemus has an agenda when he's approaching Jesus at night. And what do we see? We, reckon, we see that Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus is not just any ordinary man. Nicodemus doesn't even ask the question. He just says, 
Um, yeah, Jesus, I know you're a teacher because you've been doing like some funny signs and stuff. And he doesn't even mention the question. He doesn't ask an existential question, but Jesus gives him an, gives him an answer right away. He knows his heart, Nicodemus' heart and intention. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus straight up, you must be born again. And to us, like, when we think born again, it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Like, for us to have no context, it seems a bit strange. It seems, a bit, it seems like this far-fetched image, right? But um, some scholars reckon that Nicodemus actually knew what born again actually meant. Um, because back in those times, if you, were an, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you would have to um, you would be considered a child. You would have to be born into, into, the, into the Jewish community. And so what Jesus is saying really here is that you're not as big as you think you are. You're actually, you need to be a child. You're not even a child. You need to be a child. And this is kind of offensive for, for Nicodemus because, you know, he's part of the Sanhedrin. He's the teacher of Israel. Yeah. So Nicodemus respond, responds to him, why do I have to be born again? Surely you don't mean, surely you don't really mean for me to go into my mother's womb again. And Jesus responds something with something much, much more clearer. He, he responds with him in, with, to him in verses 5 and 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Again, for us, that sounds like that sounds like a really weird reference. But for Nicodemus, being the teacher of Israel, he would know what that meant. It's it's actually a reference to Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-five, and twenty-six. And this is this particular passage in Ezekiel thirty-six is actually a key theological piece for. For, 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 for the Old Testament. Um, I'll read it out to you. I will sprinkle clean water, no, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove a heart of stone from you, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. God is here, here is talking about redeeming his people and changing their hearts. Ezekiel 36 here is quite a clear passage, and Nicodemus would have known. And that's why Jesus tells him in verse 7, don't, don't, do not be marveled that, you, that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus is really saying, you know what's going on, man. Don't play games. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about here. But Jesus, but Nicodemus doesn't want a bar of it. And so Jesus goes on to him and tells him that for this, for this regeneration to happen, for this to be born of water and spirit again, to be, to be like a child again, it is done by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This, this idea that um, to be, be, be reborn again by the Spirit. This, this is called, the, the, for your theology notes, it's called the doctrine of regeneration. And to, to be born again, it needs to be done by the Spirit. Like, but the thing is, with 
being born by the Spirit, it's, you are, it's, not like phys- it's just like physical birth you, in the sense that you can't determine when that happens or where it happens. With your spiritual birth, you can't determine when it happens or where it happens. Controlling the Holy Spirit is as futile as trying to control the winds with your hands. Now let's, let's just step back and, and think about this for a moment. What do you reckon Nicodemus is feeling right now? What do you think he's feeling? Here you have a, here you have a man that for his whole entire life, he's been acquainted with scripture, he reads it every day, he follows the Lord to a T, he tithes his pantry. <laughs> By every physical metric, he looks extremely holy, he looks morally superior, He's the Jewish Jew you can get. And yet Jesus tells him, you're not even a child and you need to be born again. How offended do you reckon he would be? Imagine all your life you've worked your way to that position and you get told that all the work that you've done to, to be who you are, you're, you're actually not who you think you are. You've worked so hard, you've labored tirelessly, you've shaped your life around this, 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 this person that you've become to be approved of by the ultimate judge of the universe. And the ultimate judge of the universe says, no. And to rub salt in the wound, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again, which means that you can't do, and that can only be done by the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything to cause this to happen. It's not like you do a certain amount of works and you hit a quota and then it just happens. It doesn't work like that. Rather, it depends on this mysterious Holy Spirit thing. I want to bring that back to us. And for some of us, that sounds a little bit unsettling. Because we've been raised up to think that if we just do the right thing, I'll just get to the right place. Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's just logical, right? We've built this notion that in our heads that the harder we work for something, the more we deserve it. And to some degree, this is kind of actually true. I'm like, the general logic would dictate that if you worked hard at your uni degree, you would get the grades, depending if your tutor likes you, right? (laughs) But when it comes to our value, our dignity, or our worth... Is that actually true? In our heads, we think good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And we play this game with the way we value ourselves. We do this thing where we work for our value. We work for this reward, in particular from God, but also from others and maybe for ourselves. And this is, this is called legalism. You might have heard that term before. And this is how Christianity is seen at large by the Western world today. If you're not aware of it, we live in this thing called post-Christendom. If you don't know what Christendom is, um, do you have any history buffs here? Hannah Austin is, we have a history buff on the back. We can ask a history buff on the back, but if you also see Hannah Austin, she also will know as well. Um, 
We, we live in this era called post-Christendom, and Christendom um, was this idea from the Middle Ages to about modernity that, um, that countries were built on, on the Christian faith, on Judeo-Christian values. Um, and so but, uh, if, you go, if we track back just 100 years, just, just 100 years, before World War II, you would find most people on a Sunday in church. Right? You would find them all in church, and everyone would call themselves a Christian. But this is what happens when you make Christianity the state religion. With the rise of modernity and um, less people are in church, World War II happens, less people are in church, um, right, uh, then you have stuff like the sexual revolution and post-modernity, the rise of secularism, and less people are identifying as Christians. In fact, if you look at the census data, the fastest growing group of uh, of group of people in the religious part of the survey is the no religion part. But we still see the effects of this of post of our post Christendom world uh, of the Christ, of Christendom in our post Christendom world, in the in the fact that people see Christians Christianity as just doing the right thing. Hence. I would argue that's probably why 59 to 60% of Australians would identify themselves as Christians because they would like to do the right thing. Um, it's interesting that uh, McCrindle Research earlier, uh, released a report earlier this year. Um, they put out this, this questionnaire um, and it came back and one of the questions was uh, a checklist of positive attributes of Jesus. And 50% of them responded that Jesus was love. So the idea that Jesus' love is not a foreign concept to at least half the population. As a culture, we know that Jesus is this loving guy, and most people think know that Christians say that we should love our neighbors, um, which is true. It's not true. That's not heretical at all. Don't get me wrong. Jesus definitely did say that, those things. But as a culture, as a society, and as a church abroad, we've reduced Christianity simply to moralistic teaching. And that's been going on for goodness knows how long. Christendom has been going for 1,500 years. How long have people really not known what Christianity actually really is about? People will think, when we say Christianity, they think, oh, do unto others as you, as you do to, your, uh, to yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, protect the vulnerable. These things are all true. But does that not raise the question, doesn't a Buddhist think something similar? Doesn't a Muslim think a similar thing? Doesn't, didn't Gandhi or the Dalai Lama say those are good things to do? And that's just comparison with other, comparisons to other religions. Let's, let's talk about just being a good person in general, right? Um, whether you compare that to New Age spirituality and just general good vibes, uh, being a good Aussie bloke or Sheila, uh, the fair Aussie go mentality, um, whether it be Waleed Ali from The Project or Super Soul Sunday with Oprah or just good humanistic values. You hear statements like, you don't have to believe in God to be a good person. Or I'm an atheist or an agnostic and I'm probably more moral than most Christians I know. And to some degree, that's actually probably true. That's probably true for, for, for some people. Some humanists, some agnostics, some atheists 
by the world's measures are probably more superiorly moral than us. Some of them do the right thing more than we do, quote-unquote. Whether it be for the approval of God or others or themselves, we as a society are working for approval by doing what we consider is the right thing. But true Christianity is not about a person doing just the right thing for someone's approval. A Christian isn't a person who merely follows the rules. We don't follow rules. We follow a saviour. We don't follow rules. We follow a saviour. A saviour who saves us from not being able to live up to those rules enough. Reducing following Jesus to simply following a, a set of rules really strips Christianity of all its meaning, all its impact, and all its power. And the only way we were ever able to follow a saviour is if God's Holy Spirit does a work in us. Only if we are changed at the heart level can we do that, can we follow Jesus. Something that we can't, we can't rule that on our own. Let's go back to the text here. Um, so understandably, uh, Nicodemus is confused. He's probably offended, perhaps outraged to some degree. I would be. We see him in verse 9 exclaim to Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus here is showing Nicodemus that you know these things, but it hasn't translated here. The fact that you exclaim, how can these things be, is really just your denial of the truth. You know, you know how these things can be. Jesus is talking here that, up to Nicodemus that the truth has really, he knows the truth up here in his head, but it hasn't hit him in his heart. Can you imagine if you were the leader of the Jews, and you had this, and you had this accusation put towards you, this truthful allegation towards you. Let's keep reading from eleven to thirteen. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended from heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And you see in this interaction here, Jesus is pleading with Nicodemus. He's pleading him to believe him. Nicodemus is in denial. He doesn't want to believe. Jesus is giving him, saying, no, I'm from heaven, I have authority, and I'm telling you, this is the truth. Believe me. Jesus is the only one who can authoritatively authoritatively say, this is how you become approved in God's eyes, because I have come from God. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. You see in this interaction, you see that Jesus has shown Nicodemus, you can know a lot of things about God, 
You can be the leader of the Jews, but you don't understand who God is. Knowing and understanding are completely two different things. And that's the same with us. True understanding of who Jesus is not only leads to a change of action in what we do, but more importantly and firstly, it changes with our hearts. And that's kind of scary because you can be in church all your life, you can do all the right things, you can know scripture back to front, and you still don't know who Jesus actually is. That's scary. That's a hard word. And some of us are really prone to legalism because legalism gives us this, gives us the illusion of control. It feel, when, when we're able to do the rules, yep, okay, I'm, 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 that's it, I've done it. Some of, so we, we have our hands on the steering wheel of life. That if we do the if we do the rules, okay, this is definitely what I'm. This is definitely where I'm going. This is the direction I already want to go. No matter our belief system. If we're, working, if we're working for some sort of reward and not willing to let go, it probably shows that we're, we're actually about control. I'm not sure what Nicodemus's end goals were with his, uh, with his obeying of the law. It might have been to try to please God. It might have been for moral superiority. But, I, but for us... We can just be following the rules or have good behaviors for many reasons, such as I just want a ticket to heaven, or I want earthly blessings and material things, or we might just follow the rules for our own sense of pride and, and self-righteousness. We want to feel better than others. Or it might be for our own self-actualization. And when you think about it, to some degree, following rules is actually... It's, kind of, it's actually easier to, to, some, to some degree if you, um, because if you just follow the rules, then you don't actually have to do the hard, you don't do the hard work of, of heart change. But if you really want to go down that, right, that route, I'll, I'll put it to you. Read, read Matthew 5. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus in Matthew 5.20 puts it this way. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't, I don't tithe my pantry. <laughs> Looks like I'm getting in, right? Read Matthew 5. People see Matthew 5 as, um, as this list of instructions that are really helpful and, are, and is really great but, um, to, to help out your, your brother in need. But if we were to take it seriously, it's actually a list of commands that we can't do. And it actually shows that it actually reveals that we are unable to fulfill the law that God has given us. And if you think that you can achieve Matthew 5 on your own, I would put it to you, that's pretty arrogant. The idea that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, that's kind of true, in the sense that no one's actually good, and then we're all just actually bad. The righteousness you achieve on your own will never get you into the kingdom of heaven. When you think about it, to change my heart, to change my soul's disposition, how do I even, how do, I even do that? That sounds so hard. Some of us have, have so much difficulty just picking up a habit. How the heck are we supposed to change what, how we feel about how we feel towards God? 
And that's the thing, you can't. It's because we're spiritually dead. And dead people can't just automatically come back to life again. Not on their own. You need to be made alive again. It's something you can't do, no matter how much you try. But Jesus provides us this remedy, this cure, this solution to our impossible problem. And we find it in verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the servant serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This passage, this, these, these two verses, can be a whole sermon in itself. And Jesus is reminding Nicodemus of his forefathers in the wilderness, Numbers 21, 4-9. And so quick re- just recap on this. The Israelites were being judged and they were being bitten by a whole bunch of snakes. And so God instructed them, if you want to be saved, you need to just look at this pole on, like that's up there and there's a snake on it. You just need to look at that. That's it. You just need to look at that. And I don't, I don't know how, how you feel, but that sounds, that sounds a bit ludicrous, right? Uh, for us in the 21st century, if I get bitten by a snake, I'm going to freak out. If it's a brown snake, I, like, I know my, my first aid training tells me, oh, you need to lie down, you need to immobilize it, and maybe like, try to get pressure on it so the blood doesn't go, go to the area. Now, my heart rate is going to be like at 160, and it's going it's to pump the blood. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. I would, make a, I would make a really bad Israelite. But during that time, all they needed to do to be saved was trust that God had provided a way through a snake on a pole that was lifted up. And just like that, in terms of our own salvation, in terms of our own fulfillment, all we need is to look at Jesus who was lifted up to be saved. We just need to believe that in the life, work, and death of resurrection life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not by our works. It's not by our merit. It's not by our status. And that's actually really good news. That's the gospel. It takes away all the tension, all the frustration, all the pressure and anxiety of you performing, trying to prove yourself. That's taken away from us. All our guilt, all our shame was taken by Jesus. Now, I, now, the reason why I resonate so much with Nicodemus' story is that uh, some of you might know my story. I've shared bits of this beforehand, but I want to go into a bit more detail. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I went to a Vietnamese church for the first 24, life, 24 years of my life, and I was uh, really good at following just rules. Um, I was really good at Sunday school, I memorized stacks of verses. Uh, I would, we had these things called Bible, like flipping competitions. I would destroy everyone at it. Actual. Not even kidding. If there's a competition and the Bible was involved, I was there and I was going to win. I have trophies for that. I'm not going to, yeah. It's still at home. I should really burn them, but yeah. Um, I, I served a lot at church. I was behind the sound desk at 13 years old. Um, anything tech-related or anything where they needed like, into, uh, someone to get up and do something, I was there. Um, I got saved. I got saved and I was baptized when I was 15. Um, and it, the thing is, with a Vietnamese church, um, 
Vietnamese parents are a little bit um, competitive, much like their kids. And so, uh, true story, like, I encourage you to do laugh because it, it is quite funny, but it's, um, it's also kind of sad at the same time. Uh, kids in church were being compared to each other, like, and when, you, when you're of my caliber and you, like, I was no slouch. I went to a private school. I had a scholarship. I was doing really well. I worked super hard at school. I did the five hardest subjects you could do at school. I scored really well and somehow did five hours of Call of Duty at night, every night. True story. And I was really good at Call of Duty as well. Not even lying. And, and I was there to prove myself. And, and I thought... Man, geez, I'm, 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 real, I'm real good, hey. I'm, I'm sick. And I'm, I'm a winner because God's on my side. He's given me all the wins, right? But deep down, I was actually a, a self-made man. I was really prideful for who I, who I was. Ironically, um, this is a true story again, my, my, my name, uh, it's, it's Andrew Kai Huang Tran, and Kai Huang is my Vietnamese name, which translates to triumphant or winning. So, my, actually, ironically, my name is Andrew Winning Tran. Like, it's, that's, it's, that's that, no joke, that's actually true. <laughs> um, I, also, I, I was able to fulfill, to fulfill the laws that I put up around my faith, around my, around my Christianity, I used the Bible as, as the roadmap to life, as, and I used God's as a, God as a means to an end. I knew that Jesus died for my sins, and I got stuff out of it, and I got a ticket to heaven. But that's all it was. It was, um, it was just a ticket to heaven, getting out of a... It's a get a jail-free card from eternal torment. Eternal torment. That's, um, and I used the Bible as this measure of morality. Uh, and I thought I was legit. I thought I was doing pretty well. Um, but during uni, I was kind of disgruntled with my faith. Um, I've, I was, I've, pre- I've talked previously before. Um, I remember being lying in bed and just shaking my fist at God. Just leave me alone. That's the censored version. Um, just to, I, did, I didn't want him, I just wanted his stuff. Just give me the rules, just give me the equation, just give me the formula of life, let me do my thing. Um, and that was in my early 20s. And I, thought I, would, classify, I would have classified myself back then as a Christian, um, but I don't know what my heart was. Um, at the same time, I was being really disgruntled with my faith. I noticed that everyone around me was getting into relationships, and uh, and when you see everyone getting around around you get into relationships, like you want you want one as well, right? So I thought to myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I'm a I'm a great guy. I, I this should this should happen pretty easily for me, right? Uh, go on the hunt for a little bit. No success at all. Classic Andrew Tran story. I thought, like, why is it not happening? So I kind of blamed God. Like, hey man, you you kind of owe me. Look what I've did for all, like for you. I served heaps, man. I don't see anyone killing it for like you, like me for you. And so, so I was, I was like, 
you know, where's, where's my relationship? And one, one day I saw on Facebook this Christian girl post up this, this, po- uh, this article, and it said, uh, for the gals, eight dating principles. And I was like, no one's watching, I'll just click on this for a sec. Um, and interestingly, uh, I thought to myself, if I had some inside knowledge, like, that means I would, that would totally help my game. I would be able to get into a relationship just like that, right? And interestingly enough, um, this, this article was uh, on this website called The Resurgence, which, is cl- which was closely tied to the X29 network, which is what we're, we're a part of here. Um, and I came across some really good dating advice, but it actually always pointed back to Jesus. It kept pushing me back to Jesus, and it had, it had a whole bunch of articles, but it would always go back to Jesus. It would always go back to his birth, work, life, death, and resurrection. And so I started to think, okay, maybe, maybe this Jesus thing is more than, more than what I have given it credit for. And so when you look at what Jesus has to offer, the grace that he gives us, it's so much better than the rules that we try to fulfill. We, honestly, we can't fulfill those rules. But Jesus has already. And that gives us so much security in who we are. I was looking for fulfillment, for fulfillment in doing the right thing, earning the right status, working for the right relationship. I'd worked so hard for these things and Jesus came along and shattered me. All these outwardly things, like relationships and work, and those are great things. They're not bad. They're not, in, they're not inherently evil. But without Jesus, they are absolutely, utterly useless. I was looking to satisfy my own sense of piety, and Jesus came and smashed that. And he gave me something far more valuable. He gave me himself. He gave me and reminded me that my standing with God was paid by him and was paid in full. And I hope that resonates with some of us tonight. Some of us might be trying to do the right thing to earn our value, whether it be from, from, from God or from people or even from ourselves. Whether you're a Christian or not, odds are that you've previously had or you're currently trying to earn your, your sense of approval. But Jesus has come and he's given us life. He's given us true life. He's given us eternal life. And he's given us life to the full. You can't earn your standing with God. You can't earn your right standing with him. It is a gift from him. And it's freely given. It's on offer for all of us today. This is grace. This is the gospel. This is good news. When Nicodemus met Jesus... He was nothing more than a law do-gooder trying to earn his value. But we see him in the, at, in, at the end of John, we see him um, being a man that was impacted by Jesus to the point that he came and helped bury Jesus. For me, when I was acquainted with Jesus again, he changed everything for me. He's, he, he's done so much for me, more than I could ever achieve on my own, and I'm sold out for him. 
And so I want you to take what we've talked about today. Um, I want you to take this home and think about it during your week. Where do you, where do you stand with God? What, is, what has Jesus done for, for you? And are we, are we living in the light of that? Let's take stock in the grace that God has freely given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for um, the gift of grace that you free offer us. There's so much um, anxiety with us trying to earn our our place with you, but you've you've made a way. We thank you for that so much. I pray that we don't take we take this message today and we let it let it sink into our minds, into our hearts, and really um, let's think about what you've done for us and what you have what you have on offer for us. The your gift of grace is so amazing. It's beyond anything that we can possibly ever imagine to achieve on our own. Um, you came down to save us at great cost to you. You didn't have to, but you did. That shows that you are such a loving and good father. Um, let's let's be reminded that this week, as we go out into our, into our weeks and Let's live in light of the gospel that you've, you've given us. Let's pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.